our Old Testament lesson this morning is Psalm 65, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 899 in our few Bibles. A Psalm of David. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day and ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that you would give us ears that are ready to hear, that are ready to hear your word. And God, we pray that you'd help us not to just let it go in one ear and out the other, but to really hear and obey, to let your word uh, penetrate our hearts, uh, that we would be changed by your word and your spirit more and more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 65, for the director of music, a song, a psalm of David, a song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled, you who answer prayer. To you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your, ho- of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. So turning into our New Testament lesson, John 8, 48 through 59. Which can be found on page 1664 in your pew Bibles. John 8, starting in verse 48. The Jews answered answered him, saying, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, 
If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning we are continuing to uh, look at Paul and Barnabas as they continue to travel around and uh, teach about Jesus. And we have seen over the last several weeks that that has um, had some high points and some low points. And uh, before we get into that today, though, I want to talk about misunderstandings. I don't know if you've ever felt misunderstood before. (laughs) Not a good feeling. Um, In fact, I heard a quote recently where they said, uh, there's no lonelier feeling than the feeling of being misunderstood. (laughs) And if you've ever been there, you know that. Um, And this this came into play in a silly way, or funny, humorous to me anyway, um, this week at the Olympics. We've got the Winter Olympics going on, and maybe you've heard this story. I love it. The, uh, the chefs for the Norway Olympic team, you hear this? They ordered 1,500 eggs to uh, feed everybody in their crew for the length of the Olympics, except when the truck arrived, the eggs just kept coming and kept coming because they had used Google Translate to place the order, and instead of ordering 1,500 eggs, they'd ordered 15,000. And the eggs just wouldn't stop coming. A little misunderstanding there. Things getting lost in translation. So the good news of that story is uh, the store they ordered it from ended up taking back all the, the extra, and they found other places for those to go. Uh, but yeah, misunderstandings happen all the time. Another one, a little bit more serious, but still not too serious, was when I was in high school. This is flu season. This is when I had the flu in high school. And the doctor had given me some medication, and I was taking it very dutifully, just like the label said, I thought. So my mom is at work. She comes home, and she checks on me at the end of the day and says, hey, how are you doing? And I said, as far as I know, fine. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've been asleep all day. I, you know, the medicine says to take it every four hours, and I wake up about every four hours, and, well, it's time to take another one, so I take another one. And she said, really? You've been in that much pain? I said, I'm not in any pain at all. And she said, well, it says take every four hours as needed for pain. And I had just been taking every four hours by the clock. I was glad that that's one of those, you know, medicines that (laughs) turned out it wasn't too bad. I just slept for a day and that was it. Uh, Glad she caught me, though, on that. But you can see very clearly how with, in the case of medication, a misunderstanding could be really bad uh, pretty easily. So the misunderstanding we have today with Paul and Barnabas is more of the serious variety. It's much more serious than ordering too many eggs 
And it's even more serious than uh, misreading the label on, uh, on your medication. This is in Acts chapter 14. And we are looking this morning at verses 8 through 20. And to uh, bring you up to speed, the town that they had most recently been in, they were preaching and the people there uh, were experiencing jealousy and selfish ambition. And those things that you read about, like in Galatians 5, that is the ways of the world and not the way of the Spirit. And so... um, that's what they came up against, and the people wanted nothing to do with them or their message, and they uh, had a plot uh, together with their leaders. This is in verse 5. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. So when they found out about this, they got out of there, and they went on to this next place. Here's what happens at the next place. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up, on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Let's pause a second. Because what they just did, if you have been following along in the story at all to this point in your Bibles, this is pretty clear what's going on. what, What is happening here is a sign of the kingdom. This should remind you of the miracles we see in Peter earlier in Acts, and it should definitely remind you of the miracles we see in Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all the way through, when Jesus comes preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near, and then he starts giving signs of what the kingdom of heaven will be like when it comes in fullness. And so when he sees the ways that, the, uh, the ways that things were good in the beginning, but have all broken down, He says, but it's not going to be like that forever. In fact, one day it will be restored and it will be good again. And let me give you signs of that now. And so he goes around and he finds people whose legs aren't working. And he fixes them. And whose eyes aren't working. And he fixes them. And whose ears aren't working. And he fixes them. Whose bodies are dead and and he brings them back to life. And so as he goes along, he's preaching about the kingdom. And he's preaching about what it's like to have a relationship with God that is good again. And how we can experience a taste of that now, but it will be fully realized later. And so he's giving these signs that match what he's saying. And he's giving signs that show who he is and that it's a connection to God the Father who has done all these things all throughout history. And so when we see Paul and Barnabas doing this, Immediately, like our brains ought to light up, and we're like, ah, there it is again. It's God doing what he does. Every time this message of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ breaks into a new area, this is what we see. And so here they are coming to a new area, and boom, there it's happening again. And we say, yes, hallelujah, praise God. Here's where the misunderstanding comes in. That's not what the people in this town saw. What the people in this town saw was, hey, these guys just came to town, and they did something that none of us can do. I wonder who this might be. And here's the problem. In their surrounding area, there had been a town where uh, there was a story that had gone on from earlier about how the town got wiped out by a flood except for two people. And the reason that it had gotten wiped out by a flood is because the gods Zeus and Hermes had come to the town and... Nobody welcomed them, except for a couple people. And those two people then, they welcomed them in. Everybody else didn't. 
And so then the town was destroyed by flood. So that's what, this, that's what these people know about. They don't understand the story about the one true God who has created everything and who's been working this way through the lives of his people from the very beginning. And so now when they see this sign, they don't see it as a sign of that God. They misunderstand it because of their own experience. And so how they read this is like this. Verse 11 says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Is this going well? Well, it actually depends. This is, it depends a lot on Paul and Barnabas and their motivations. If what Paul and Barnabas are wanting to do is make the people happy around them, they've done it. <laughs> These people are excited. Now they've got you know, Zeus and uh, Hermes right there with them, and they are sacrificing to them. This is great. Great, great, great. Or if Paul and Barnabas are just wanting to set themselves up uh, for a comfortable life as religious leaders in some community. They have made it. This is it. These people think they are gods. <laughs> Doesn't get much better than that, right? If, however, Paul and Barnabas are concerned with making sure to share the message of the truth and the one true God, this is not going well at all. But they don't know it yet. That's the other fun part about this story is at this point, they see people responding. They don't speak Lyconian. So people are shouting these things, and they're like, what, what is going on? People seem excited. They're grabbing bowls, and I don't know. What, what's happening? And then, verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, and he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with this, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So are Paul and Barnabas excited that this is the response they're getting? No. They are heartbroken. They are grieved. And they are hurting for these people. They say, we came here to bring you good news for you. And you're missing it. It's right here, and you're missing it. And you're clinging to these worthless things. We looked before at how in uh, Jonah 2, as a part of his prayer, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's what Paul and Barnabas are seeing with the people of this town now. They're saying, you are clinging to these worthless things. They're worthless. And because you're clinging to that and insisting on following that way, you're missing the love of God for you. And that's what we want you to know. We want you to know of the love of God for you. And yet even trying to be as clear as they can we're not talking about Zeus. We're not talking about Hermes. We're not talking about any of that. That's, that's nothing. We're talking about the one true God, the one who does these things, as we just <laughs> read through 
one who made everything, who keeps it going, the true God. It says, even saying this, people are saying, nah, we, we still think you're Zeus and Hermes. How could you follow that anyway? So there's that response they get. But there's another response. This is starting in verse 19. It says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. These are the last two cities where Paul and Barnabas have been. They came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Yeah. This is, this is a bad day. Paul and Barnabas go rather quickly from being celebrated as gods to being basically executed. Why? What happens in a crowd that can make them go from praising, praising, praising to killing, killing, killing? It, it's surprising how little it takes. Um, but it ought to remind us of another incident similar. Maybe a little longer time span, but not much. From a Sunday to a Friday. A very famous Sunday to Friday. A Palm Sunday to a Good Friday. We're on Palm Sunday as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting, Save us. Hosanna. Save us. Praising him for who they think he is. And then when he turns out not to be what they were thinking, and come Friday, the crowds are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Crowds can change like that. And especially when what they were expecting turns out not to be the case. And so for... Uh, for Jesus, he said, come in and save us, drive out the Romans. And then Jesus came in, and instead of driving out the Romans, he started saying, you need to change. And they said, crucify him. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas come in, and they say, it's the gods, it's Zeus, it's Hermes. Let's worship them, let's pray to them, let's sacrifice to them. And they say, we're not Zeus and Hermes. In fact, we're against Zeus and Hermes. And they say, if you're, well, if you're against them, then we're against you. And in both cases, we have you know, Jesus who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That whoever is on the side of truth listens to me. We have Paul and Barnabas coming in saying, we don't want you to know these false gods. We want you to know the true and living God. But you may have also noticed crowds aren't usually interested in knowing the truth. Crowds tend to react. And what is going on is what we're going to do. And that's where uh, Paul and Barnabas and what they do and how they respond in this situation is really telling. Because we'll all find ourselves in crowds. And how do we respond and do we go along with whatever's going on or not? refer you back to the Simon Says game earlier. 
But then there's also times where we will be misunderstood by crowds. Misunderstood by people who are thinking like crowds. And either wrongly persecuted or wrongly celebrated. And what do we do? For Paul and Barnabas, um, the way that they handle this, we actually get to learn a little of their motives here, which you can see uh, kind of reading between the lines because of what they do. But it's actually spelled out a little more clearly if you wait 20 years. How long do we have? If you wait 20 years after this moment, uh, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, who is then a young pastor in Ephesus. This is Second Timothy. And he actually mentions these events. Now, Timothy wasn't here at the time. He didn't experience this with Paul, but he knew about it. <laughs> hey, you remember that time when I got stoned <laughs> outside the city and they thought I was dead? I don't know what it feels like to have somebody throw rocks at you until they think you're dead, but I bet it hurts. I bet it makes an impression. I bet it's the kind of thing where you get up from that, you're wondering, first of all, how did I get up from that? And second of all, you're thinking about going and talking to a career counselor. You're like, I think maybe I need a different line of work. But that's not what we see. Instead, uh, we have this as the, one of the things that Paul talks about, even to Timothy. So this is in 2 Timothy chapter two and three and four. In, uh, in chapter two, he says to Timothy, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need, need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And then he goes through an extended section of talking about what everybody else is going to be doing. But he's just said, you're not to do those things. Don't get caught up in that stuff. You are to do your best to present yourself, not to them, present yourself to God. Present yourself to God as one approved. We then we go on in, uh, later in chapter 3 when he says, um, talking about those other people, and then he says, You, however, to Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, Sufferings, here it is. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? That's what we were just talking about. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then here's where we know why Paul was doing what he was doing. It's in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why are Paul and Barnabas doing what they're doing? It's not because they're trying to please people. When they got to Lystra and uh, 
and the people were very excited. Paul and Barnabas weren't happy. They were grief-stricken that the people were excited and happy because they weren't trying to please the people. They were trying to please God. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. Saying, the people we talk to, they're going to make their judgments. And often they're going to misunderstand what we're saying. They're going to misunderstand our message. They're going to misunderstand our motives. They're going to misunderstand who we are. And they're going to make their judgments. But in, one, <laughs> in the biggest sense of it all, it doesn't matter because they're not the judges. And we know who the judge is and so that's who we're living for. And so if everybody's really excited about what uh, they think we're saying, if that's not the truth, then we shouldn't get excited about it either. And the same thing when people are uh, throwing rocks and trying to kill him. And he says, yeah, that, that kind of comes with the territory. And we're not going to get all upset about that either. We're going to live in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. We know he's with us. We know what he's promised is coming, and we're going to live in light of that every step of the way. And so then he says to Timothy to continue doing what Paul has been doing. Preach the word. Keep telling people about Jesus. Don't get hung up with how they respond. People will misunderstand. Sometimes they'll think you're awesome when you know you're not. (laughs) Sometimes they'll think they're horrible when you know you're not. Doesn't matter. Keep preaching. Let people know the good news. And have in mind, we put there from Acts 14, 15. He says, we are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Remember that our message is good news. And it's good news for the people even who are misunderstanding it. I pray that people would understand, that eyes would be open, hearts would be softened, that the message would be received as good news, that people would be able to turn away from the worthless things and turn to the living God, knowing the love for them in Jesus. I did want to mention one other thing about um, this whole scene that is particularly ironic, I think. The misunderstanding they had about Paul and Barnabas initially was that they thought that the gods had come down to them in human form. You hear that? But what is the message? What is the Christian message? The message of Jesus, the message we preach every Christmas. (laughs) that the true and living God has come to us in human form. And so it's one of those things where it seems like they were so close, (laughs) and yet they missed it by so much, by so much. Sometimes it sounds like we're talking about the same thing with people because we're using similar words, and yet we're miles apart. Let's be careful to be clear that we are talking about the one true and living God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus, who sent Jesus to us because we needed him to be made whole, to be made right with our creator. 
And the only way that we do the things that we do now is if we are, if we are staying close to him and are empowered by his Holy Spirit. This is our message. It's a message we need to continually preach to ourselves and to our neighbors, to each other, to the world. In view of God, the presence of Christ Jesus, in view of his appearance and his coming kingdom, may we be those who preach the word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.